Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome along to the show. I'm glad you could join me as we get the chance to speak with Zara Husseini today. And we have a really fascinating conversation about her life, because she originally came to New Zealand as an Afghani refugee when she was only 12 years old. Here's an excerpt from our conversation. The entire New Zealand was hurt Mm. after March 15th. Mm. And, you know, that was the time that we had to huddle together like the penguins Mm -hmm. (laughs) to, you know, protect ourselves and, you know, um, say that we are all one. You know, just um, a big slap in the face of racism and terror Mm. to say, you know, although you're breaking, you know, trying to terror is trying trying to break us apart. Humanity is uniting us. That's a common value that we all have and we all share. Mm. If you enjoy the interview and the perspective that Zara brings, then consider sharing this with your friends and networks as well. There's also lots of videos and other content at theseeds.nz. Now let's dive into this interview with Zara. So it's a real pleasure to welcome Zara Husseini, who's a candidate for council and community board for Waimari. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me here today, Stephen. Yeah, no, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Um, I know we're going to have lots of great discussions about some of the things that you're involved in because I followed you on Facebook and other social media, <laughs> and it feels like every day you're posting about some other initiative or some other thing that you've been to. You're, you're very active out there, so I'd love to learn more about what you're doing um, and also about what your vision for Christchurch would be, you know, um, what it might look like in the future. Um, but in order to ask some of those questions, what I love to do in the podcast is actually step back with people and actually unpack a bit about their life, mm-hmm. where they're from, and what led them to today. So if right. it's okay, we'll just jump right back in time. Just tell us a bit about where you're from. Well, I'm originally from Afghanistan, but I was born in Iran, and um, my family is uh, my family moved to Iran quite a while ago, and I have seven siblings, five sisters and two brothers, so eight children in total, and I'm the youngest one in the family. Wow, Yeah, the youngest I, one. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I have 19 nephews and nieces and oh, a wow. grand-nephew. Wow, so it's quite an age, age gap. <laughs> yeah, definitely, but because we have a good relationship amongst our siblings and my family, mm-hmm. I don't really feel that gap. Mm. Yeah. So what, what shape did it take for you, I guess, the where you were from (laughs) in terms of culture in Iran and Afghanistan? The culture in Iran and Afghanistan, like, um, because we have the same religion, like we're both Muslims, Mm -hmm. um, it's not a big uh, shift. um, But the language, it's like, you know, there is a bit of difference in the dialect, but over generally it's quite uh, similar. Mm -hmm. And my family lived... um, in the city of Orizgan, which is, it's taken by Taliban, and the Taliban usually um, attacks people in Orizgan, and you know, especially the men of each household. So that's that's one of the main reasons a lot of Afghans move out of the country because of the safety and you know the war that's going on around in Afghanistan, and it's mm. been going on for a while. Yeah. So when had your family left Afghanistan? 
Was it a long time before you were born? Definitely. So yeah. it was it was before my uh, so after my third sister was twi- uh, she was I think she was about 1 year old when my my parents moved to Iran. So it's been probably around 38 to 40 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you know we were educated in Iran like we went to school mm-hmm. um I was in the first year of high school when I came to New Zealand so I was 12 right um with no background in English at all wow so I learned from scratch the so first few months especially it was the most challenging few months for me yeah because I used to just you know if if I had any <laughs> I remember there was a uh, there was a boy who used to bully me uh and then the way that I could tell my teacher about him was just, you know, using sign language. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I'd love to know more about it. But before we do that, just to finish off just the childhood, I guess. Okay. What are some of your first awesome. memories? Because um, so you're growing up in Iran. And I'm, I'm just curious because uh, I, I don't know. My, I've never been to Iran. So yeah. what, what was it like as a child? And um, Because we, um, we actually lived in... Um, in Tehran, which is north of Iran, so on the village side, um, um, my father was a farmer. Uh, we did crop; uh, he did crops farming, and we used in a big. Uh, sorry, we lived in a uh, in a big like space with you know fruit trees, and we had animals like dogs, uh, sheep, um, goat, chickens, ducklings, ducks. Um, um, turkeys so like a lot of different types right. of animals so you're in the country Cow- yeah c- cows and calves we used to always like um in summer especially we used to just you know um go to the farm and help my dad help our father and he used to pay us for working for okay. <laughs> just like a you know pocket money sort of thing like a gig as a gift um mm-hmm. So, and so it was kind of an outdoors childhood, very, yeah, it sounds like. Very, very, very fun. I, I really enjoyed my childhood. It mm-hmm. was quite fun because um, we just went out, outside and played the whole day. Or if you liked, we would go and help our parents. And I actually loved milking cows. Okay. <laughs> At the age of six, I used to go with my mom and we did it manually. So because we had like two or three cows at a time. Mm hmm. Um, and we had like a, a cow that was really, really nice and calm. Like, and she was she was the only one that my fa- my mom would allow me to milk because she was she wasn't wild like the other you know younger ones. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was quite fun, and I always like remember the time uh, that I had a cow once and. Um, it belonged to me, but once I remember, I got really sick and I was in hospital for a couple of weeks. And then when I came back, uh, my cow was sold. Oh, really? <laughs> so I cried a lot. <laughs> Where's my <laughs> no, cow like, going? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I loved I loved being with animals, and but my sister, one of my sisters, she always she disliked it. She was always like, they stink. Right. But I, w- I would literally go and, you know, put my hand in the cow's mouth or <laughs> right. just, you know, play with them and cats especially. I love them so much. Yeah. 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 So you have really fond memories of childhood yeah, growing up with and animals And we had like, yeah, we had our own, you know, organic vegetables, fruits growing like we had um, in Iran, especially in summertime. We have mm-hmm. a tradition of like, you know, 
people sit outside in the yard and, you know, put a mat there and then have tea and chat. The neighbors come along and, you know, mm-hmm. greet you and talk to you. Just have fun, like your family members, like aunties, uncles, come over for for a couple of hours and spend time together. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time I remember if we had, uh, if it was harvest time, we would go and help our uncle's family or, you know, neighbor's family who needed help. And then if it was our turn, then they would come and help. So that's like a, mm-hmm. the, a very strong community that was connected, mm-hmm. well connected. Um, so with Iranians and Afghans. Um, and I remember my father, my parents are both really generous people. And um, they always, you know, they never like, you know, um, even if we had times that we we didn't have anything they would always you know make sure that if someone comes to the door they make they made sure that the person doesn't go back empty-handed and you know the sacrifice they had Mm. taught you know taught me a lot right Mm. so it sounds like the community was really important it's very important in our culture yeah yeah which will be interesting to unpack a little bit as we get further through your life like community i love that word you know that that community who how we intersect like, and yeah, interweave. Yeah, the community and, is like literally like your family there. Mm-hmm. So my my parents were always called uncle and auntie. Right. Um, and usually like when we had harvest seasons, my dad would, you know, um, give away like uh, fruits, vegetables and anything we had um, to the neighbors. Um, so we had our own, you know, we would use our own organic vegetables at home or um, fruits we had like, you know, um, the yards usually in if you're in summertime especially you have mm. like you know um you have like uh grape grape trees right. and then they go they they you know they grow really big and then they cover um they cover your veranda mm. and then they make a nice shade and then you know fruit hanging from there and then you can sit there just have you know a f- uh, fun time with your family mm. and just you know chat or play games and do those sorts of things and then you know the neighbor's children and the cousins would come together and then you know play uh, volleyball um, Mm. football and some other traditional games together Mm. and hide and seek Um, and sometimes we would go to the river to swim like because we had like uh, river and streams close by that Mm. had really nice fresh water Mm. and you know sometimes uh there's a big tradition of, especially during um, uh, springtime, the first day of spring is New Year in Iran, so in Iran and some other neighboring countries. Um, so when it was closer to that time, um, everyone, you know, used to go to help neighbors to, you know, kind of, we say house cleaning, mm. um, clean the whole house, wash the rugs and, and help each other, you know, um, to prepare for the new season, mm-hmm. uh, which is called the Noruz, which is the new Noruz, which literally means new day. Mm-hmm. So new New Year, new day, and spring. You know, the blossoms are out. It's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like from what you're describing, like there was a river and springs nearby and things like. Yeah. There was vegetation and yes. green and like I'm just trying to picture in my mind. Yeah, we had pomegranate trees. Right. We had um, thick so it's quite trees. lush. It sounds like yeah. in that in that area. So we had not... a very humble life. Sure, but it was very healthy, and mm. um, like I, I feel so sorry watching this, the kids the kids nowadays mm. growing up in apartments or here. 
um, just on their tablets or their phones or just watching other kids, you know, on YouTube playing games with their toys. We didn't have like uh, toys that much. We had to make our own out of clay. Right. Like my sister would, um, you know, use a piece of uh, wood to make this uh, little doll for me. And it was so cute. I really loved it. And she used to stitch like, you know, the eyes, uh, the face, you know, mm-hmm. the eyes and the eyebrows and the mouth. So, and I really loved it. Yeah. Um, so. But you kind of made do with what was available. Yeah. I, you know, so there wasn't lots of money. There wasn't lots of plastic yeah. things that you buy that inevitably break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was imagination and yeah, creativity. A lot of creativity. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. It's interesting as well, just reflecting on what you're saying, because I think sometimes culturally or um, across different parts of the world, we kind of think, well, they must be very different. Mm. But actually what you're describing, hide and seek, swimming in the river, playing with your friends, you know, like that's those are universal activities, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Even our cartoons, actually, we used to watch um, like, you know, Snow White and, you know, Sometimes in the afternoons, the cartoon times would mm-hmm. clash with uh, the news time. And then because um, our uncle and my family, my uncle, my, my dad's brother mm-hmm. and our family, we used to live in the same courtyard. Mm-hmm. So we had like, you know, their house was on that side and then ours one on this side. Mm-hmm. Um, then we would send either, you know, my dad to my uncle's house or my uncle to our dad's house so we could go right. and watch the cartoon because we only had one tv in each household i see and yeah. um yeah and i think we were the first one who had who um in that area that had our first um colorful tv because usually um, they used to be black and white right after it came it was introduced or it came to the market mm. so my dad bought us a colorful tv right. is it called colorful yeah maybe yeah. color yeah color enough. tv yeah. yeah just a color, color tv yeah color yeah. tv oh that's great so, yeah, yeah so you're um, pretty happy yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, I remember cool. playing marbles with the boys, uh, with my brothers and cousins mm. and their friends. Um, mm. So all of us were like kind of um, always playing with each other, like together. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it was quite fun. And um, so we watched like, you know, Snow White that was translated in Persian. Ah. So and there was like there were other cartoons like um uh, I think it was Hannah, the girl in the village or in the farm. I don't remember mm. the girl in the farm. So, it, uh, and then we had Dr. Ernest. We had um, mm. Judy Abbott, which is, uh, I don't remember the name. And and just, I'm just curious about, well, two, many things. But <laughs> the first one is just like when you're watching TV and things, are, were there many shows from the West? Like, was that something that was on TV? Like you said, you watch Snow White, for example. Yeah, yeah. They was, were all translated and, yeah. you know. Because um, what I'm curious about is mm. what your perception was of this place that was making cartoons about Snow White, for example, or mm. um, w- living there, what you thought of the West at that time. It looked so, like, you know, in the cartoons, they look so beautiful. And, you know, especially the village life um in the mountains green and you know seeing animals it was just like you know my own personal life so mm-hmm. i was like oh it's so beautiful and then we we would just you know count the time or you know just keep an eye on the time when the cartoon was up so we could go and watch it um mm-hmm. together uh, so it was quite fun but so what i really loved is the fact that we always had time you know to go outside and play and and you know be creative without 
with our games um, mm. rather than just, you know, watching like nowadays, watching yeah. other things on tablets or something. Because it's really helpful with your mental well-being mm. as uh, growing up as a child. Yeah. So we had like guests who came from the city who would come like, you know, in summertime. And then they wouldn't even know what a cucumber leaf would look like or a tomato leaf or mm. they would ask questions like, oh, the, the tomatoes or cucumbers grow on trees or, you know, are they plants? They wouldn't have any clue. And then when mm. they would watch and, you know, they, when they looked at it, they would, they really loved it. Like, wow, it's so beautiful. We didn't know how, you know, mm. because we only see in the city, we only see like tomatoes, cucumbers, but we mm. don't see what they look like or how they're harvested. Yeah. So they would come and, you know, as a fun thing, they would come along and it was like a tour for them. Right. Yeah. yeah. And pomegranates. Uh, pomegranates is like like a lot of people in, in the East, they love pomegranates. Right. It's, it's something that I really miss in New Zealand. Is it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite expensive in here. And, yeah. Um, would it get used in lots of different foods and, mm. and and the fruit shapes which is very interesting um like you know the honeydew melon in here is mm. like round but mm -hmm. there it's like oval and dark yellow and very sweet right yeah so it's yeah. different shape yeah and then the watermelon in here is like round but then we have oval and round shapes mm. so it's quite uh interesting and the cucumbers we usually have the um, do you know the Lebanese cucumber? Uh -huh. Those sizes. Yep. We never had, I'd never seen a big cucumber like the ones we have in here. Right. The green ones. So we have a different type of cucumber as well. I think it's like the, I think it's like Chinese cucumber, the long, yeah. pale green one. Yeah. I don't know if it's Chinese or. Uh, so it must have been type. a shock to come and see all these different shaped yeah, vegetables. And, <laughs> and, and can I just ask as well, because you mentioned that your, your parents were from Afghanistan yeah. and they'd moved to Iran. So. Just in terms of culture and mm. I guess you're growing up in a different place, but your parents have a strong sense of identity yeah. back. What was that like? Yeah, yeah I, I think um, with clothing and uh, things like that, mm -hmm. um, I think my mom, like my mom still held that kind of um, habit of wearing the same type of clothes. And I see some, some, some women in Iran or some like even Iranians in some cultures, they wear the same kind of clothes that Afghans wear. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have similar traditions depending on what, you know, where they are from. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't a huge contrast. And, mm, yeah. Not really. Yeah. So, and and from what I, um, I think from memory, I remember we had a neighbor who even spoke the same as us, who was an Iranian, because apparently it was a language that they had in the past as well and some places still spoke the same as us with I the see. different uh, with the same dialect yeah right yeah makes mm. sense so you're a child it sounds quite idyllic <laughs> mm. out enjoying things when did the word new zealand first get spoken to you because you said you came here when you were about 12 was yeah. it so yeah what mm. what happened how did that end up being that that you came I here? remember my uh, my brother and a few of uh, fr family friends um, at the time a lot of people tr uh, you know they they travel to um, they travel overseas to for a better life opportunity like mm -hmm. like Australia and they had they all they'd always talk about Australia like you know Australia is a land of opportunity it's got a lot of things like you know you can you know work there you can have you right. can get citizenship and own you know house and buy house have your own things because that's what that's what we missed like we didn't have in iran like 
even though we had our own house, mm -hmm. but it didn't actually belong to us. Like, you know, if you buy something, if you're not an Iranian person or mm -hmm. citizen, we had the green card, okay. the green cards, which is like, you know, permanent, permanent residency, but that doesn't give you the right to buy a house under your name. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah. 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 So it's it's the system. So your system. parents kind of maybe saw that this wasn't a mm. for the future for you and yeah. your siblings. That, yeah. That my pa my parents um, they both always encouraged us encouraged us to study. Uh, my grandfather he was us um, he was also like you know he was a poet and he had, he was very um, like he's he was always pro you know uh, youth educating youth and mm -hmm. especially for the girls in the family he would always tell my father. Uh, my late grandfather so um he used to he used to always tell my father to make sure that we learn how to swim how to ride how to ride a bike mm. and things like that and and my dad did that um he didn't get the opportunity to study himself because of you know the life situations mm -hmm. he had mm -hmm. um that you know the challenges he had and um the poverty he had to go through and grow up um, mm. because of the drought in Afghanistan and then had to move to another country. Yeah. Um, and, and he did, got did you busy. know did you know your grandfather or had he um, passed on before you knew him? He, he was gone before I was born. Mm. So I, he was he died at the time of my brother, my my second brother, who is mm -hmm. four years older than me. OK, so he was I'm not sure even if he remembers him because he was mm. probably quite young yeah. when he passed away. And do you have any examples of the poems or the things that he wrote? Um, we have a book that he's written, mm -hmm. but it's not our, our house. My cousin has it and it's in Australia. Right, right. <laughs> but I've always heard about how beautiful his handwriting is with, you know, calligraphy, Farsi. Mm. It's beautiful. Um um, and my grandma always talks about him. Mm. My grandma is in her like almost a hundred, and oh, she's wow. she lives with us. My paternal oh, grandma is that right? Yeah. Wow. Um, what a legacy. Yeah, my parent, uh, my mom's parents passed away. Like I, I never saw her mother, but mm -hmm. I was six when her father passed away. So mm -hmm. um, that year I was sick as well. So mm. yeah, it was hard for my mom and dad. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned that. You arrived in New Zealand. So just talk us through how you ended up coming here. Mm. So what happened? Um, so my brother, um, my brother, my oldest sister and her two children, her son was is nine months younger than me. So we were in the same class at school, mm -hmm. sort of. And we were the top students in the class mm -hmm. always. I think he was about nine and the younger, the uh, her youngest son was three years old when they left Iran in a hope for a better change to go to Australia. And then they went, I think, through, um, so that I think they had to go through, I don't remember, I think they had to go to Singapore mm -hmm. and then to Malaysia or Indonesia. I don't remember that one. Yeah. Um, and then they, you know, they hired a boat, like a group of people, and then they left. Um, mm. I don't remember the full story, but I just remember those days back in Iran, we were just, you know, very upset and, mm. you know, sad. Um, sometimes crying, missing our siblings, because we thought we never knew what would happen to them. Because, mm -hmm. um, they, you know, it, it was very tough for my mom, especially my mom and dad. Yeah. Um, so... It'd be a lot, very uncertain, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, at the time, if... I think my brother was 17 or 18. Okay. Mm. 
and and then I but think they were seeking a, a yeah, better life uh, yeah, uh, yeah. going somewhere yeah we didn't hear from them until they arrived in New Zealand like you know we saw the news about the Tampa asylum seekers mm-hmm. um, so uh, we were uh, and then you know they got a chance to get back to us you know call us and say we are alive wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how long had that been I guess you were quite young at that point but was it it's hard for me to remember those days to be honest yeah. um, I think I w- it was the, at the time they arrived I was probably around 10 okay. or nine and a half mm-hmm. yeah so but we were um, after you know we had their you know they they're at a safe place mm. and we had the prime minister of the you know the country is a woman mm. uh, we heard about Helen Clark it's amazing isn't it because I we're, we're recording this on a Friday and you were just on the project right and Helen Clark was the one asking you questions yeah. wasn't that amazing like it must have for your like yeah it was quite emotional for me because yeah it's interesting because they called me in from the project on Monday uh-huh. and I went to the studio uh-huh. and then they said it's cancelled because we have Helen Clark on the show the next day on Tuesday night. Right. So I was like, wow, because I was supposed to meet her for a labor woman lunch when she was down here for the, uh, for the, I think it's called a cross-stitch conversation with Helen Clark. Right, so yes. So I had booked for the event, but um, I, I missed out on the lunch. I think I went to that lunch. event. Yeah, yeah I that went. was at the town hall. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was there that night too, but I yeah. didn't get a chance to see her. But I wanted to, I desperately wanted to share this story and yeah. you know, say how much, how much I, you know, appreciated what she did mm. and my family. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, I didn't. So you got the chance I never on had clue. <laughs> live on national TV to, yeah. to be able to yeah. make that connection. I never had um, a clue that I, you know, weeks later I'd be talking to her mm-hmm. or, you know, being interviewed by her mm-hmm. on um, their project. Mm-hmm. So it was quite, uh, quite interesting, quite fascinating. Yeah. So was it quite a shock when you were in the studio and they said, okay, it's actually going to be Helen Clark who's asking yeah, you when, questions? When or? they told me, yeah, it's Helen Clark. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow. It's like, it's, it's kind of, it's quite mind blowing. Yeah. Because, you know, I wanted to see her. I wanted to share my story with her. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get a chance. And then it happened on mm-hmm. the project. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> great. I was, I was quite emotional when I, when I was talking to her. So, And she yeah. was quite, you know, amazed as well because... Yeah. Well, she, what a connection, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's really, uh, yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. So let's come back to... Um, you get the phone call from your brother who's arrived in New Zealand. Is that how it happened? Yeah. And and then what happened next? Like, was there then the opportunity for so, you, you to come as well? Yeah, so what happened was, um, I remember watching this clip from Helen Clark saying that, you know, the boys asked me, we want to have our families here. And yes. then she said, she will, you know, help them bring their families. And we were part of that, you um, know, I think it's called family reunification. Right. Um, uh, something like that, you know. Sounds right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we ca- um, we came here. We arrived here. The Tampa asylum seekers came, I think, in August two thousand one. Okay. If I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. And we came, like you know, it took what literally, um, like when we started doing our, you know, paperwork and things like that. Mm. We were just thinking it's just like a dream. We, you know, we couldn't believe it. Like. Um, so when, you know, my brother said, you know, we have a chance to bring you here. Mm-hmm. 
uh, sponsor you guys to come to New Zealand. We were like, okay, I was still going to school and I thought, I don't think it's going to happen. But then the last, it was, I think, the last days of my exams in summer that, you know, our visa came and then uh, like, like I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to my friends. <laughs> right. Some of my friends, yeah. Is that right? It yeah. was just time to go. Yeah. Wow. And, it, so, and how many of you came over? Lots of I your think siblings? We were, or? we were 10 people. 10 people, yeah. So my, um, my siblings mm-hmm. and, yeah. So it was quite, um, quite beautiful um, when we came to, you know, came to cry to need we first arrived in Auckland so mm-hmm. we had to go through Afghanistan we stayed there for one week mm-hmm. that's the only time I've been to Afghanistan right but I hadn't gone out to go and see the city or anything because mm-hmm. I think it was um it was at the time that was like you know still after the uh, war right okay so, so it wasn't that careful. safe yeah yeah, yeah. so we went out uh, so we came we arrived in Auckland mid 2004 i think um mm-hmm. and then we stayed at mangri camp for six weeks where they taught us about you know different roles um and you know the lifestyle uh, cultural differences and things like that in new zealand and roles and regulations right so that's where um i was bullied by someone and when i said to um this uh, is your sign language uh, yeah telling the that, that was one and then the sa- another a girl also bullied me in the same place. Um, I couldn't speak English to protect myself. Mm-hmm. They called me from the office in the, at Manguri, and then I told them that these, you know, I had an, an, an interpreter or a translator right. that um, that was translating for me and my family. Mm. And I, you know, I, I explained the situation because, you know, she tried to strangle me, but... Oh. Um, um, the person made them think that I was lying or I was the one who was attacking the person, uh-huh. whereas I had a few witnesses. So, but then they kind of, you know, they kind of made my family believe that I was the person. And that broke my heart because I had no ability to speak English right. to protect myself. Wow. Yeah. It's such a, I mean, to be, yeah, because 12, you're old enough where you kind of know what's going on in the world, right? And and to not be able to communicate, um, I, you know, we just take it for granted that that we can communicate and speak. It, yeah, it must have been, yeah. Sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> I never thought I'd feel so emotional about it, but. I think when you're 11, 12, 13, it's actually, you know, very young adult time, isn't it? You're, you have strong, um, yeah, strong impacts. Then we came to Christchurch. We came to Christchurch, I think, in August 2004. Okay. It was a... Um, my brother had rented a really big house for us because we were quite a few people mm-hmm. <laughs> in the family. Um, it was everything was so green and so beautiful, right? Because in Iran, like there is the north of Iran is like you know green, but then here it's like to the next level. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> extremely yeah. beautiful. Um, but very cold. 
Right. I mean, I'm always... Well, if you arrived in August, you said, right? Yeah, it so was that's, quite cold. Yeah, that's cold winter, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, first six months, it was really hard because mm. um, I was just learning the language. And when I was sitting in class at high school, mm-hmm. um, not able to understand a lot of things, a lot of the things that the teachers would say or the students around me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, people... It's funny, I learned a lot about Osama Bin Laden in here. Right. <laughs> because people would call me out names mm-hmm. and say, oh, do you know Osama Bin Laden? And then I was like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shocked. So, um, and then... So it took me a bit, I think around six months to get on track to mm-hmm. kind of learn a little bit of conversational English. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I knew when I came was just the alphabets and from number one to 20, because sometimes in Iran, my my parents would send me to, you know, a summer course, like for English, just right. basic. Yeah. Yeah. But truly basic. It wasn't Very the basic, ability yeah. to communicate. And that was yeah. the last year that uh, before we came, because, you know, before that, we didn't know that we were going to come to New Zealand. I see. So, yeah. 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 And at high school, I mean, in Iran that time, they used to teach, start teaching different languages like English and Arabic um, from year six onwards. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about their system nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but that's how it was back in back in that time. So and that that was my first year at high school learning English as well. So. Yeah. So just describe a little bit more, I guess, about what it's like to be an immigrant in another country like that, you know, arriving, not being able to speak the language and things, because that's something that the listeners, lots of them won't have experienced. And mm. what I'm what I'm trying to do with the podcast is kind of open the understanding uh, across, you know, to, to not view people as just it's their experience, but to actually allow people to understand what others have have, have learned and things. It's so, a big challenge. Yeah. It's a little bit easier for younger people to adapt, but it's very difficult for the older ones because, you know, they lose the power they had in their home country. Like, mm. you know, like for my parents, everyone, literally everyone knew them. Yeah. Where we and lived. The standing everyone the respected and them. Yeah. Um, they respected them highly and... My dad was in charge of a lot of things in the community, like whether they were Afghan or Iranian, they had high respect for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite challenging in here. So um, it kind of takes away your identity. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're in a country that's not like, you know, uh, religiously very different to where you're raised, mm-hmm. um, because there's like people are not aware of your religion and you know you get criticized for your belief or the way you dress up um and then the food halal food like you know permissible food it was hard like we like only like you couldn't go out to restaurant and have food like everything we got when we go to the supermarket even until now we have to check everything to see it's if it's got you know something that's not permissible to eat mm-hmm. for us yeah um so that's that's that was quite a big challenge mm-hmm. like learning that we had to look at things the labels before mm-hmm. we want to eat or we want to buy mm-hmm. and um 
I think the word for me is actually a Maori word, which is tūranga waiwai, which is the place that you're from or, you know, where you're rooted. And Mm. I think because I I actually share not at all your story, but a similar story that I came to New Zealand as a child and I'm not I wasn't born here. Mm. So for me, it's been a case of growing up with multiple identities in some senses that, that my parents had strong identities and then we moved to New Zealand yeah. and I moved to Christchurch. I think I just turned 13 when we arrived in Christchurch. We came when I was seven originally, mm. but, um, but it is, so it is a case of, it's very similar mm. age, but it is a case of that identity is where do you fit in within mm. this society? So how do you go about building that identity in a new place or a new country like that? Cause clearly you've adapted your, you're living here, you know, you're running for, mm. for an office, like, how, how do you go about that process? I think my religion or my faith helps me a lot with that mm-hmm. because, um, uh, because you know, um, growing up in here as a Muslim girl wearing my identity, wearing my faith, mm-hmm. it's quite challenging because when you go out, I've had people like once at, an, at one instance, one, a lady came to me uh, at the supermarket and said to me, she looked at me from head to toe and said, I hate the way you're dressed up. And I said, I'm sorry, but, you know, this is a, you know, New Zealand is a free country and people dress up the way they like. So I don't see a problem in what, you know, why the mm. way I'm dressed up. Mm-hmm. And then she she had an argument. So I was like really, really upset. Mm. Um, but then I had what what was beautiful about it was that I had fr- people New Zealanders who stood up for me right and told her off mm. and you know uh, and then she left mm. because I was just you know I was accused of being someone who doesn't work on and you know taking the money of the government and bombing New York as well mm. at this in the same um, in the same situation on the same day and by the same person mm. And I, I, I had to be patient. Um, I've learned to be patient. Mm. And that's what my religion tells me. Mm-hmm. To be patient, to be um, um, positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, she was... Like, I, I, I got really upset that I forgot to bring my shopping bags with me when I left. But I started working since I was 15. So... Because I always loved working, like mm-hmm. even though my parents would say, "Oh, you don't need to work, um, you'll be fine," but then I was like, "But I enjoy working. It's mm-hmm. like you know, keeping myself active. It's important for me to be active because mm-hmm. I feel like um, I'm useless if I don't do something." Right. So um, as I remember my brother. He was the um, soccer coach and volleyball coach. Um, with the Afghan youth, and he used to, you know, take them around um, for the for the tournaments, and you know, even wash it, wash their clothes um, at home, and then you know, take it for them. So, um, and he used to mentor youth. So I learned a lot from him as well. And he mm. was the one who established the Farsi school in Christchurch. Um, but now um, another friend is running it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. I also volunteered to teach lang- Farsi language at school, um, at the Farsi school mm. to the kids because mm-hmm. I love kids. And um, 
I enjoyed teaching them. Mm. And can, yeah. I, can I just pick up on one thing? Mm. You know, the lady in the supermarket yeah. <laughs> who's making accusations and things, and you said that the, the way to react to that was to be patient and basically be tolerant. Mm. How, how do you cultivate that? Or how do you, how do you be patient in that sort of situation? Have you got, because I'm just thinking for the people who are listening, like what mm. are some things that we can learn from you in, in that? Um, you know, it's just being, having a thick skin, like Helen said, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know, um, being respectful to people at the same time as, you know, trying to, like I was trying to explain myself mm-hmm. as, you know, at the same time trying to be respectful to her mm-hmm. because I know that usually people are afraid of things they don't know. Mm-hmm. And the theme of the show and the project was phobia that night. So right. I felt, yeah. Um, so people are people have phobias of certain things because they've never tried or tried it mm. um so i think um a good way to kind of face your phobia is to like um there's an amazing quote that i always live by mm-hmm. um it's by uh, ali ibn abu talib who's um who is a leader um in islam mm-hmm. He mentions that, you know, when you have any fears, you have to face your fears to be able to overcome. Mm. Um, so kind of delve into your fears and, you know, face your challenges. And that's that's what I always, you know, kind of did. I always embraced opportunities, faced challenges. But, you know, at the same time, always remembering to be uh, tolerant of people who don't know. Mm-hmm. Because um, how can you know about something that you've never dealt with Mm. in the past in your life. Because I come from a multicultural background, Mm. whereas people who are in here have always been here all their lives. Mm. They've never seen someone who is different. So um, um, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to kind of blame them. Mm -hmm. So, and at the same time, you kind of do feel upset that they don't understand or they don't put themselves in your shoes. But I think having these kind of conversations with people creates that kind of awareness um, around, um, you know, uh, racism and, um, you know, wakes people up Mm. and stops things like March 15th from happening. Mm. Um, If someone like, you know, if if on that day nobody stood up for me at the supermarket, I think it would make me feel really, really, really like, you know, extremely um, upset. Mm. Like I was happy at least someone stood up or two people stood up and told her off yeah. to say what, you know, what someone who is from the same background, someone who is from this country stood up for me to tell them off to say what you're doing is not right. Mm. Um, then I really, really appreciated that. And I, I will never, ever forget that. Mm. That's really good. I yeah. think because the thing is the people who are listening, you know, if they take nothing else away from this, right, <laughs> they probably will come across situations where something's happening and they have the chance to stand beside someone yeah. and help them. Exactly. And, and um, I think that's a responsibility for all of us. Hmm. Mm. Staying silent at the time of oppression. The person who states, uh, there's a famous quote from Hussein ibn Ali, it says, um, a person who stays silent at the time of oppression is guilty of oppression themselves. So um, if someone is suffering, it's it's our duty to stand up 
for the person mm. and to be their voices mm. um, if they're you know facing unjust in the society or in the community mm. um, so it's up to us to stand up for them mm. um, and make sure that you know their voices are heard mm. and um, you know because a lot of you know a lot of the times um, I think if we stay silent I don't think we're doing um, anything better than someone who is oppressing, you know, people in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's many examples throughout history, isn't there? Exactly. You know, if you look at Nazi Germany or, yeah. you know, people probably said, well, yeah, it's not really mm. affecting me. So we'll just let them continue yeah. with this little thing. That's that the difference and... I've felt in with the cultures. Right. Like in here, people are very um, self-oriented. But in Iran or in Middle Eastern cultures or Muslim cultures, mm -hmm. people are very community oriented. Like they're, um, if anything happens to one person, everyone you know tries to help them to you know to uh, get them out of that you know grief or you know trouble mm -hmm. that they have. Like for ex for instance, if someone dies in the community in within our culture, mm -hmm. um, what happens is like quickly someone you know neighbors or the community members. Uh, make sure you know they have food, cooks for them, right. uh, takes care of them, mm -hmm. and you know uh, to take burden off them. Yeah. So it's yeah. There's it's, lots of lessons mm -hmm. there, and I, I think as well though, in even in Western culture, it probably was that way. Yeah. Maybe you know, like probably. going back a hundred, hundred and fifty years ago, where there was more intergenerational living and it was more, it was less city-based urban living mm -hmm. and it was sort of people in a village and, you know, the village looked after each other. And I think we've lost a lot in the transition to very individualistic, yeah. focused on how much money am I making? That's my house, you know, yeah. and it's, and so I think there is something that's been probably lost in, in yes. certainly Western culture, consumeristic, yeah. you know, um, so just coming back to your life, you said that you were you were teaching Farsi, was it? Yeah. And, and um, doing some things at you know teenage years. Did you know what you wanted to do with your life, like at at that point, or what's what type of things did you enjoy? I I like I um I used to go swimming every week, mm -hmm. and at school I did like you know sports. Like I enjoyed doing activities like physical activities. Um. I like learning different things mm -hmm. when I was at high school um, because I, th I think three or four years um, I was at high school when I, after I came back to New Zealand yeah. before I went to uni. It was a bit, um, I was a bit unsure about what I wanted to do at uni. Um, so like I was confused. I didn't know what subjects to pick to be suitable for what, you know, I really like. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just doing, you know, science, computers, law and... Um, fashion design in English and maths. Mm -hmm. uh, so a bit of everything, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only th um, the science, I only did chemistry though. Mm -hmm. But And then like after I finished high school, I was like, oh, I really wanted to do midwifery because um, like I, I really like, you know, you know, taking care of women or mm -hmm. people in, the, in general, but mm -hmm. um, uh, seeing babies, although midwifery is like majority of it is about the woman mm -hmm. and her well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, but still you get to, you know, spend time with babies too. Yeah, there's something at the <laughs> so, end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so I started uni um, at high school. 
I didn't know what to do. And then, you know, someone suggested to me, okay, since you've done these, why don't you go into commerce um, with your background? And and then I was like, okay, I think I was 17 that time. Right. Yeah. Uh, I entered commerce at UC and I never, ever enjoyed one of any of my classes at right. all. Okay. And the same year that I started, 2010, I lost my friend who was uh, during childbirth oh. at the age of 23 in Australia. Hmm. So that was a very big shock for me because ever since I lost my um, my maternal grandma, hmm. we hadn't had a loss, like close loss in the family. Right. So it was very hard for me that year. Hmm. I withdrew from uni. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to get back the following year. And then I lost my cousin at the age of 18 hmm. uh, due to a car accident hmm. and another cousin who was 23 as well. So it was a it was quite a tough really time. Really young people. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was a it was quite uh, quite a tough time for our family. Hmm. Um, so uh, and it it affected me a lot, which quite surprised me quite a lot. But then with my nature being um, very caring, mm. um, it was really it sounds, hard for me. Yeah, you're, you're a sensitive soul. <laughs> so I think I can understand, yeah, that would have a yeah. big impact. Yeah, so, um, and then I, I learned that I could do a course to get into midwifery. I started doing that course um, at ARA, which is called um, Pre-Health Science certificate in pre-health science so I did that course and part-time and at the same time I traveled to Australia and stayed there for six months and I did um, a business admin course in there Mm -hmm. and I came back and heard that I got into midwifery after I did my application and interview Mm -hmm. of you know how much I really loved to do it Mm. I started midwifery in 2014 and then halfway throughout uh, through the year um my family was going through a lot Mm. and i couldn't handle it anymore because it was such a challenging year for all of us Mm. i knew i had to take time off and you know uh, go back when everything is fine Mm -hmm. i had to you know spend more time focusing on you know what was going on and you know trying to solve Mm. um the matters Mm. And that's consistent with what we've been saying. You look after your family and your community as the priority. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just curious just to bring us up to speed with sort of what you're doing now and, you know, running for political office, for example, and just the impact that what happened in March 15, you know, like just Mm. tell us a little bit about that um, because I'm obviously really curious about that from your perspective. Like how is that? How has that changed your perspective mm. and, and what's that done and, and why are you running for office now? Well, um, so the time I was going through a lot in 2014, I told you, mm-hmm. I started getting involved a lot with um, a global organization called Who is Hussein? And I'm running um, um, alongside my friend, Suhaila Asghari. We are both working um, uh, together for Who is Hussein Christchurch as volunteers. Okay. And we run, you know, blood donation drives, you know, giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. And that's like a core value of Hossein, who inspires millions across the world. Mm-hmm. I remember ever since I got more involved with Who is Hossein projects, um, 
I started to learn about, you know, communities' needs, mm-hmm. uh, the wider community's needs, and how it's important to mentally and socially is very important for us to be involved and engaged and interact with with the wider community. Mm-hmm. I was active in my in the Muslim community as well as you know the wider community mm-hmm. uh, amongst my uh, along my friend Sahela. So um, that helped us um, a lot with you know empowering the youth in the community, and also you know just um, uh, breaking down those barriers. Mm. Um, we had sometimes people telling us you know giving us racist comments about you know your Muslim girls have to be inside your you know at your homes cooking, things like that. It's right. bec- yeah, and it's because of the wrong perception they have about Muslim women. Um, Unfortunately, um, so currently we have you know a blood drives going on from next week for a couple of weeks I think. Okay. Because it's that time of the year that we are mourning the death of Hussein, um, so we're just you know giving back to the community uh, during these times. So mm-hmm. you know donating blood, um, mm-hmm. saving people's lives, mm-hmm. and you know planting trees. Um, and I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm organizing a climate change event as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is going to be held towards end of September, hopefully, mm-hmm. just a workshop about, you know, uh, what practical ways to, you know, practice in your daily life, day-to-day life mm. to save the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, because I was quite active in the community, mm-hmm. um, that time I met Anne Galloway, who was a friend mm-hmm. of my sister, and mm-hmm. she became the counselor at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been two years, about almost two years, that she planted the seed into my mind. Hmm. Say, okay, you're quite active in the community and you have this, um, you're from a different background, Mm -hmm. you have a different perspective, you're young and active. Why don't you, you know, nominate yourself? Consider. Yeah. Yeah, Why don't you consider this? And I was like, "Mm," I was thinking, um, I had this pose for a moment because I never thought about it in the past. Mm. Um, and then she said, just think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it took me a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, though, thinking about what you were saying, you know, at the time you saw on TV that, oh, it's a woman prime minister in New Zealand. So probably there were some seeds that had been planted that in New Zealand, you know, women can be political leaders as well. And then mm. and to be a mentor or say, why don't you think mm. about it? Like, in I, Iran, we had we had political leaders too. Like in Iran, mm-hmm. like women are always, you know, doing sports and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I I come from that kind of background that my father has always been open to um, whatever I do and what activities I do, um, mm-hmm. as long as I'm not, you know, uh, doing something that's wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, oh, that's good. So there were lots of examples. So to it's look like at. You know, my father. <laughs> my father always. Um, is you know the person who always gave me wings my right. father and my mother my yeah. siblings um and um, one great source of inspiration is also um you know the prophet's wife he was a merchant mm-hmm. and not many people know about that and you know because that time was the time of uh, ignorance um 1400 years ago mm-hmm. and that the time that islam uh islam um was born in 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 Arabia, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so, you know, seeing those 
leaders in the past and you know Hussein's mother Fatima or Zahra the same name as me mm-hmm. and his sister who was a strong resilient woman who stood up you know in the face of a tyrant leader of his time of her time um sh- you know sh- strengthened me mm-hmm. you know learning about them you know being strong as a woman it's very important and powerful like you know Mary the mother of Jesus we have a whole chapter in the Quran about her mm. um she's you know highly we say peace be upon her when we uh, talk about her mm-hmm. uh, she's highly valued in the religion of Islam with how much strength and resilience she had mm. and she's a great role model for you know for the entire humanity as well mm. so having those kind of role models in my life and uh, in my religion mm. and also you know seeing Helen Clark Jacinda Ardern mm-hmm. and you know women like Anne Galloway my mother my sisters um just surrounded by beautiful mm. women like that mm. um they were a great source of my empowerment mm. and having my father always you know supporting me my brothers um in whatever i did um it was quite valuable for me um and at the same time i was doing my studies mm-hmm. I studied applied science when i went back to um studies um so we did like you know things we would test water quality um would go to field trips to take samples of the soil and watch you know look at the catchments aquifers and see you know how it's being affected by tourism and things like that right. and yeah hmm. so it's perfectly in line what's required in the council mm. because i have in also recently being involved so um after the march 15th um i found out about um when the march 15th happened uh, all of us who were studying we put down our studies just rushed in to help to save the community or to serve the community and you know make sure that everyone is okay mm-hmm. um I didn't know what what you know what I could do to mm-hmm. help people but at the same time I knew that my community need needed me. Yeah. I knew that you know we are needed in the community. Um just like any other New Zealander who came down and you know offered help mm-hmm. and support mm-hmm. regardless of you know their race or faith. Mm-hmm. Uh people who came united and you know to stand in solidarity with the community because the entire New Zealand was hurt mm-hmm. uh, after March 15th. Mm-hmm. And you know that was the time that we had to huddle together like the penguins mm-hmm. <laughs> to you know protect ourselves yeah. and you know um say that we are all one and you know just um you know just just a big um kind of um a big slap in the face of racism um and terror mm. to say you know although you're breaking you know trying to terror is trying trying to break us apart humanity is uniting us mm. that's a common value that we all have and we all share mm. and it's very important so um and Christchurch is a very uh, or New Zealand as a whole I should say is a very multicultural um country mm. and that's like you know that's one of the strength and the beauty of New Zealand that we have like you know very diverse very multicultural mm. and you know everyone is free to practice their faith mm. and you know that's what well Uh, we treasure a lot mm. some people we have like friends that come from australia and they say you guys are so lucky because we have you know um such a beautiful country and beautiful people you know they're very welcoming new zealanders right and we're so blessed to have that mm. um and like even 
I know in according to some research, I know that New Zealand is in one one of the top levels with, you know, human rights and things like that. Mm. And, you know, Jacinda really taught a great lesson of humanity to the world. Mm. And she set a great example mm. um, with her great leadership. Mm. So after March 15th, um, uh, we, we were on the ground helping. Um, and then we felt so numb, all my friends who were working with us, even though we had like some people who were like, you know, who, that we knew directly and indirectly. Mm-hmm. We were kind of, you know, numb. We were just running. We didn't know. Um, they, but there were people, a lot of support, you know, helping us, making sure we eat. If we needed counseling, they would just, you know, pull us <laughs> pull us over and say, let's talk, what's yeah. happening, you know. Or, you know, as a group sometimes, um, mm. you know, asking us, you need to, if you want to help other people, you need to have full bottle. Mm. So make sure you keep refilling your bottle. Right. And that's, yeah, that's Look what I always remember. Well, right? Yeah, self-care <laughs> is very important yeah. if you're yeah. in a re- uh, leadership position. Yeah. Um, so, so it sounds like the solidarity of the people after the events, like that, that really had a big impression it for did. you, didn't yeah, it? It, yeah, it, it strengthened me and empowered me. I remember going to the council, like um, we went to take thank you baskets to different agencies, to the right. first responders, and we went to the city council. Um, I told Leanne that you guys, with what, you know, everyone has done in the community it's Mm -hmm. empowered us to give back even more to the community Mm. and and that's the well that's the thing that i want to explore a little bit because um what i because we have a mutual friend abdigani ali right yes And, and so he came to me like it would have been three weeks after or maybe early april i think and and he came and said i really want to help the youth of christchurch you know and not just Muslim youth. I want to actually unite people, and I want to have some festivals. and And I know you volunteered, right, at, at one of the recent things that he's done. Yeah. But you know, he probably, maybe I don't know. He probably wasn't thinking of starting the Canterbury Resilience Foundation, but then these things happened, and then he started it. You know, and so out of the the tragedy, there are emerging these Definitely, new yeah. initiatives. And so I'm just trying to trace through with you and like your decision to stand now. Mm-hmm. Does that have a link back to that? Or 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 were you planning on it anyway? Or how does that At the fit? time I was at uni, so mm-hmm. I was studying full time again. Mm-hmm. And then I was a bit skeptical about it. But then when the attack happened and then I started, you know, being involved in the community even more. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to my amazing lecturers and i can never like forget how how you know how um understanding they were mm-hmm. with me mm. and you know being patient with me yeah because <laughs> i was i was you know after the attacks um a few weeks after the attacks i was really exhausted and drained mm. and i needed to look after myself mm-hmm. i needed to look after myself but at the same time i promised myself that i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna be in the community i'm going to serve the community and make sure that everyone is you know coming together mm. from it doesn't matter what religion they hold mm. we all we're all one mm. we all you know one human race and we need to we need to um embrace our commonalities and you know work together along and that's when i saw the first video of abdi mm. i didn't know him before that right yeah interesting yeah. i saw his video <laughs> because i i used to work a lot with with the youth of my our community, yeah, 
um, when I saw him on the video, I was like, oh, this is the guy I was looking for all this time because I needed to get, you know, the boys involved as well. Because yeah. most of the times it's easy to get the girls on board, but mm -hmm. it's really harder to bring the boys on. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, we connected through a friend, um, uh, like, uh, and then, you know, at meetings at the Muslim um, Muslim leadership meetings. Yeah. Uh, that's where, you know, uh, we started talking about, you know, having conversations about um, what else can we do to bring the communities together. And, you know, with, with my skills and his skills mm -hmm. and, you know, other friends who were involved. Um, Sadra Sultani is actually the youth coordinator for the girls in Canterbury Resilience Foundation. Right. So you've gotten involved in quite a number of things. So for you now standing in this election that would be um i'm just trying to draw the connection to to what yeah. happened and seeing how much of an influence that was and yes i think this is the time so right after the attacks like a couple of weeks after the attacks i said um i i filled up the forms to go for the um Sorry, you have we have to we had to go through a process like you do a selection speech. Mm -hmm. So I went for my selection speech. Mm -hmm. Um, I the like I and I talked about how I have I am from a diverse background mm -hmm. and I'm involved in the community. Um, and things I had done and I said I will continue doing the same things. Um, yeah. so we and then we organized a Uniting Women of Canterbury event. Um, which Joe, my friend, got in touch with me. Mm -hmm. She she met me at a Pecha Kucha night talk. All right. So she got there in touch go. to, with me through Who's Hussein page. Yeah. And then we had a meeting. And then the week after. Um, oh, I had got, you done a talk at Pecha Kucha? Or? Yeah, I oh, have. Right. With yeah. Erica? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. Erica Aston. Yeah. So it was last. She's been on the podcast. Last so. September or last October. Oh, I see. If, yeah. yeah. But if yeah. I'm not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's that's where I met. Uh, I had met Preston through Streetwise in okay. the past yep. at an event at uh, Exchange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, then, so I promised myself that I'm going to work hard in the community mm -hmm. um, to you know make sure that we are all united mm -hmm. um, and we are empowering each other, regardless of race or faith, that we look after ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's very important to you know kind of like neglect especially the youth mm. um and that's what one you know one of my cans my concern was mm. um so um like week after joe got in touch with me joe bailey mm -hmm. um then uh, i invited my other friends i connected my other friends who had things who were active in the community like my friend Hafsa, um, she always helps a lot with, you know, she helped the victim families and mm -hmm. she's still taking care of them. And uh, my friend Rebecca Parnham, who's mm -hmm. a f who's um, who started the Giving Seeds of Love yeah. and she's got, she owns the social enterprise Kramer. called Kromar Co. Yep. And I did some modeling for her. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah, yes, she so. was at the lunch today, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah she's actually, amazing. she was here in this room 24 hours ago. She's we were a, having a chat. Wow, so, she's yeah. a superwoman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's amazing. That's awesome. Love her. Yeah. Um, and then my friend Naima, who always mm -hmm. helped me with the youth um, programs mm -hmm. in the community. So, uh, And, of course, Amber, who runs Said Nights. Okay. So I'm not sure if you're aware about Said Nights. 
and no, she run, she runs craft without borders yeah, well that's amazing. what i mean is i keep watching your facebook and your um all the different channels that you're using and it's like everywhere here, here. yeah yeah you're everywhere <laughs> yeah. so you have to look after yourself yeah you know, I, I definitely the energy do. yeah that it takes to go out to all of the events like that thankfully it's, uh, yeah yeah it's definitely something to keep thankfully i have a lot of you know um so the circle around me mm-hmm. like amazing people like i have friends that i go to to kind of seek for advice and then um, other candidates who are helping me and then uh people taking care of me like my parents I think they're doing the biggest sacrifice because, oh, really? you know, <laughs> I have to sacrifice the time that I would spend with them uh, and do other stuff. But then they're quite understanding. Right. They're quite helpful. Um, so you say, oh, I have to go do a podcast yeah. interview today. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. last night I had another interview with yeah. the SBS News. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah so um, it's like... Um, I, I make sure that I keep an eye on my health as well. I, yeah. I keep in check because to be able to be in a leadership role, you have to make sure that you're, you know, mm. mentally and uh, mm. physically well. Which is a good word for everybody, actually, isn't yeah. it? Because too often we neglect our Ourselves, health. What yeah. are we eating? How much rest are we getting? Yeah. All those basic things. that Because you don't want to, yeah. yeah, you don't want to go, you know, downwards. Yeah. Um, you have yeah. to look after yourself. So um, how's the campaigning and election going as we're recording this like people may listen to this years from now but mm-hmm. um how are you enjoying it i guess and and what's it i been absolutely like? love you know meeting new people mm-hmm. uh you know going out door knocking talking to them about the concerns they have um one of the concerns that i recently posted about was an intersection in avonhead mm-hmm. you know uh the lady told me that there is no you know every pretty much every month there is an accident happening in that area and right. You know, um, I think it's important for us to work out a way to um, focus on the safety of the roads in mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, some people complain about water quality, and especially water bottling. Um, mm-hmm. People are not happy about it's and been climate a big change. Issue recently. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for climate change myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I try to, like, if I go and have. Uh, if I want to go and buy takeaway coffee, I make sure I have my mug with me. Mm. Like yesterday, I went to a sushi restaurant and I and they wanted to give me plastic um, packaging, and I asked her, "Do you have anything that's better, like environmentally friendlier?" Mm. And then they often, you know, they gave me a paper plate, um, right. which still, you know, not that helpful, but it's at least better than using plastic. Yeah, because you know, yeah. um, incredible waste, yeah. isn't there? And that's great. Uh, so, yeah. So can I ask you a question? Mm. Um, and again, the podcast is about breaking down barriers and helping mm. people to understand. But are there any things that you wish that people who didn't know about your culture knew about your culture or, or ways that they interact with you? And I'm thinking of one really practical example is um, shaking hands. Mm. So in Western culture, we would normally reach out and say, oh, nice to see you. How are you, Zara? You know, um, but can you just talk us through, like, what should people be doing? Because I think that's something that, um, yeah, that would yeah, be helpful so, for, for a man yeah. greeting a woman. Um, what, what would be the so right the, thing? The most respectful way of dealing with, an, with someone um, who is an opposite gender is just to put your hand on your chest and, you know, say hi and, you know, kind of lower your head a bit. Right. That's so, what I personally do and smile, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that kind of, um, you're not disrespectful to the person. Mm-hmm. And I know some people do shake hands and, but, um, but I always, you know, tell people that, you know, I'm sorry, I don't shake hands. I yeah. just, you know, kind of show 
uh, smile to them and, you know, respect them. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that um, some people um, worried that are that I'm a Muslim standing for the um, for this um, office role. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there should be any concerns about this because, um, you know, there are people from different backgrounds standing and already on the council or in central government. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm a Muslim. I have a different religion. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we all have similar values in the religions, Mm -hmm. like common values. Mm -hmm. Everyone, you know, they have, you know, um, we have our own ways of praying and uh, worshipping, or some people don't even have any religion. So, But we all have respect and we all have compassion and, you know, love for humanity and harmony. Mm. So um, that's what we need to focus on. Mm. And I'm here to, like, you know, represent the Waimari world, um, the entire community, not only the Muslim, not the Muslim community. Um, so uh, that's one thing that people need to um, uh, understand. Right. Because I, I'm part of New Zealand. I spent most of my life in New Zealand. Mm. I grew up here and I'm a um, Muslim Kiwi. So... Mm. Um, I don't see myself different to another New Zealander who's grown up in here. Who's yeah, from a different you're not background. representing just one voice. It's it's all of the yeah, voices. Yeah, like I'm yeah. concerned about climate change as much as another person is. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about the safety of the community as much as you know other people are. So, mm-hmm. and with our values in People's Choice Labour, we use we put climate change at the center of our every decision in the council or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, so transportation and water quality, environmental issues, those kind of things, they're very important in the community for the, for the well-being of the community and the social, social well-being of the community as well. So like, you know, things like community garden, it's very important that we have that mm. in our community so that people come together you know, they have a chat, you know, socialize, get to know one another and at the same time, you know, harvest some fruit or plant fruits and, you know, help each other mm-hmm. to build a stronger community. Yeah. Yeah. So together we stand strong. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And yeah, it's a good, good platform to be running on. And I know you've got running uh, other people standing as well, right? So it's good mm-hmm. you can support each other like that. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. we have like, you know, um, advice from our amazing MPs, Labour mm-hmm. MPs, you know. Um, yeah, I saw a photo with Duncan Webb, right? Yeah. He was helping you hammer up some yeah. <laughs> um, signs or something. <laughs> yeah, um, we went to his house um, and we were talking about, you know, why why it's important for us to run, like, you know, and, you know, trying to find out that why. Yeah. For me, it's like strengthening communities, bringing communities together, because I know, I think everything lies within, you know, when we need, when a community is united, then they can work on the issues that we have in the community. Mm-hmm. If they're water bottling or environmental, or you know road problems, you know it's important to hear the community's concern and what they need to be, you know, what they want to get done. Mm-hmm. Because I, I I remember going to a door knock. There, the this person told me I had never met the candidates in the past, or I've never met the councillor, or the community board leader, you know, of my area in the past, and you're the first person that I'm seeing at my door. Mm. So um, I think for me personally, it's and for the People's Choice Labour Values, it's very important that we hear what people are concerned about. Um, and, you know, what we do is, mm. um, you know, what we focus on is like, you know, 
whatever is good for the entire city like if if there is a project in one area it should benefit like you know this community like Waimari as well as you know the entire community right so um it's important to take that into con- consideration and you know especially people's um um concerns yeah well yeah. it's been amazing to have a chat with you because mm. and and the thing i love about it is just hearing your background yeah. and you know because we had met before you came to a dinner that i hosted at exchange and it was great to meet you but i didn't know the full story of sort of where you'd come from and just hearing your memories of being a child you know and and playing with your siblings and your cousins and kicking your dad out because you want to watch cartoons <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's really it's really uh, important and and I think for people here to understand the journey that you've been on as somebody who's come from overseas into New Zealand and now made your own Turanga Waiwai if yeah. you like you know and you're based here and um I I just feel like I'm fortunate to be able to do this interview now Thank you so because much. it feels to me like you're on you know, you're at the start of this journey in terms of what's coming next. Mm. So I feel lucky that I've gotten in to interview you before many other things happen because I think good things are going to happen I'm for you. I'm truly humbled to be here <laughs> today. Thank you so much, Stephen. And I just forgot to mention that I, uh, when I was a young girl, mm. my dad would used to take ev- take me everywhere, like, you know, to his work, mm. teach me a lot of things. Mm. And he was the one who nurtured me. And strengthened me to the person who uh, that I am today. He's mm-hmm. like still making breakfast for me, you know, telling me, make sure you eat before you go out, you know, right. concerned for me. So that's great. <laughs> that's like, you know, um, the way he shows his love, you know, through doing things for me, making sure I'm warm, making sure I eat. Yeah. So it's beautiful to see that. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah. Well, that's that's an encouragement for me as a father with my daughters to should, be yeah. that for them. Right? Very close yeah. relationship is very important mm. for their upbringing. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And please come on again in the future someday um, and give us an update in terms of sure. what you've gotten involved in. And yeah, but it's been really fascinating to have you and hear your life story so thank you so much thank you so much for having me here i i really appreciated it and you know just going back uh, through my memories mm. you know uh, it's been a beautiful journey for me as well oh good thank well anyway thank you for coming on the show <laughs> thank you well i hope you enjoyed that discussion with zara i know for me there were many things that stood out in particular just hearing her life story and i think it's good to try to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and understand their perspectives on life and what it is that shapes them. If you enjoy this interview, then consider checking out some of the others in the back catalog, because there's more than 125 now. Until next time.